Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. My name is Jonathan Faduba, and I'm joined as ever by my good friend and colleague, Steve Wiss. We are here to talk about a lot this week. Um, we're, we're in a good rhythm of things at the moment. We're in a good little flow. We've had a few episodes in a row, and of course, uh, you know, last week we talked about Molde Granada, and we're going to discuss that game now. So um, without further ado, Steve, how are you today? Now then, J Dog, how you doing? Um, yeah, I'm all right. Uh, ticking along, as they say. Um, you know, a bit disappointed about the the Europa League result for Molde. We're going to talk about that very soon. But apart from that, I'm doing fine, and I hope you're uh, you're in good health yourself. Spring is coming. You know, the the days are getting a bit brighter. Um, still a bit windy over here, but it's, you know, things are things are looking up, and. I'm feeling pretty good because we're only about three or four weeks away from the uh, new season in, in Sweden beginning. So to be honest, it's kind of creeping up quite quickly. And, uh, and before you know it, it will be upon us. I've just today or yesterday, sorry, uh, renewed the Ilsvenskan Nordic Football Podcast Fantasy League. So I might drop the code on that at the end of this episode, but um, it's there. It's ready. I've done my team. So, you know, things are, things are really starting to sort of take shape. I've started my spreadsheets, um, but we're going to start in Norway before we move to Sweden, because as we did mention, there's been a massive game. It's probably one of the biggest games of the season uh, and it's been involving Molde, hasn't it, Steve? You were uh, our man following that game against Granada in the Europa League the last 16. Uh, give us a quick recap of that match and, and your impression. Yeah, it ended to Granada 2, Molde 0. And uh, I was disappointed about, it, about this match for Molde, really. Unfortunately, pretty much everything you said about Granada in the last episode was very accurate, Jonathan. They they're not a, they're not a great watch actually, are they? Um, they're a frustrating team. I don't think they're actually that great, but at the same time, they they have enough qualities to to see them through. It, it's kind of I remember you always said uh, when they played Malmo in the um, in the qualifiers for this that they tended to have kind of the experience and, and everything that, that got them over the line and. It's kind of strange. This is that debut European campaign, isn't it? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I don't think that is necessarily a great strength of theirs. But um, and I think that's where actually Hoffenheim it let Hoffenheim down. They don't didn't have great experience of like certainly two two legged ties. But it feels like with Granada's makeup of their team, they've got a lot of old heads there, like Molina, Soldado, and just they had that little bit of extra sort of intelligence when it mattered. Um, I was disappointed though because I think Mulder on another day had they kind of made the most of their good moments. Certainly, at the very least, could have come out of uh, the match with an away goal. Um, two nil down, it feels like it's quite a big mountain to climb when you don't get an away goal. Yes, quite a wily, a wily sort of team, aren't they? I think um, they have a young manager, so it's not as if he's even necessarily, you know, that experienced. But uh, I guess he's 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 been at Sevilla as a, as a youth coach. So maybe he's learned a lot from Europa League campaigns there, you know, watching on. Uh, he's been an assistant at Sevilla. So, yeah, a bit of a dogged side, aren't they? I mean, from Molder's point of view, would they be disappointed with that result? Was it kind of expected? Are they, you know, was it was the flow of the game, as you imagined? The first 10 minutes, Granada dominated it. And I think Molder's rustiness showed. Um, they kind of got away with it, though. Um, and then they got a foothold in the game. And I'm thinking, you know what? They're looking like the most likely team to score. But Granada don't really play like a tr how a Spanish side is traditionally portrayed. 
they're, they're, they're quite direct team, you know, Jonathan. They, they're not long ball direct, but they're looking to play a lot of uh, long passes and sort of getting in behind sort of thing. And I don't, I didn't expect that. I, you think a Spanish side, you think sort of short passing, very technically correct sort of thing, patient sometimes. But when they want to get the ball forward, they did it quite, quite, quite quickly. And like Kennedy was causing big problems from Alder with some of his runs in the first half. And um, yeah, he was a real live wire. His finishing's not great, but he was whipping balls in. He was getting into positions that were causing issues. Um, and then they got the goal. Um, it was unfortunately a mistake from Sheriff Sinian, who he had a great performance against Hoffenheim, but he didn't have such a good game here in Granada. He was exposed by... They had a good game plan to beat Mulder out, basically. They they exposed certain guys one-on-one and, uh, you know, that was 1-0. I was surprised that Sinian was in the team um, despite his good performance against Hoffenheim. I thought Martin Bjornback would come back in. I would, I would have rather had Bjornback in there myself. Um, but, you know, Mulder had dangerous moments. They had, especially out wide, They uh, Pedersen uh, was, was really good, I felt, apart from his final ball. They created opportunities and, and good situations, but didn't make the most of it. And um, Granada just kind of picked them off, really. Yeah, Granada, you know, as you met, as I, it's kind of like a bit like I said in the Malmo game, very direct. Um, they're eighth in La Liga, but they're actually they actually got the fourth lowest ball possession in the, of the, in the league, forty-two percent average ball possession, which is you know really quite poor. They're not the sort of team that wants to play the ball and the kind of you know, play ticky tack of football, are they really? They they've they've haven't got the best defensive record, but uh, you know, they're quite dogged. They've got the second highest number of shots blocked shots in La Liga. You know, they're that kind of team, aren't they? Really fifth in the league for interceptions. They're sort of a, like you've said, a dogged team. Um what are the prospects for the second leg then? You know, are we are we looking at this as something that Mal Granada could sorry, Mulder could probably turn around or is it gonna be quite difficult? Well, Martin Ellingson will not be playing the second leg. He got sent off for a second bookable offence. And unfortunately, within five or ten minutes of him getting sent off, Roberto Soldado got the second goal. It was a a, an, an, a, weird, a bit of an unlucky moment, I felt, for Mould. It was a really good volley from Soldado. Andreas Linda, who's done brilliantly in these last few matches, he lets it go because he thinks it's going to go wide of the post. And it kind of dips in at the last minute, hits the post, and comes in and goes in the goal. And Linda will come under some criticism for this because, you know, some will say you've got to be rather be safe than sorry. But I get where he's coming from. He doesn't want to give the corner away. And it did look like it was going to go um, for a goal kick and, until this last sort of minute dip. Um, but I feel that 2 0 goal could be crucial in the, in the tie. Mulder's really only chance um, for me is if they win the second leg 2 0 exactly. I, I just don't, I can't see Mulder scoring four goals. In, in one match against um, Granada, which they'd need if Granada scored an away goal. So their only hope for me is to get that 2-0, take it to extra time, which is absolute bollocks, isn't it? Because they'll get another 30 minutes Granada to score an away goal. Should go straight to penalties, in my opinion. Um, but remember, the match is going to be played in Hungary at the Puskas Arena. So they don't even have home advantage Molder. But, um, you know, look, they, they create some good moments. They... They got in behind. I think you're right about the blocks. It felt like Granada were always there, you know, when that, that second loose ball kind of fell to someone in the box, there was always someone there for Granada to clear it or get in the way of it. And um, 
I feel like it's just a bad matchup for Molder. But if they get a goal early on, you never know. They weren't like massively outplayed. Like, I felt like Ho Hoffenheim outplayed them far greater than Granada, for example. Yeah, and comments from uh, Diego Martinez. He said, this is the last 16 of the Europa League. It's taken us 90 years to get to this moment, and it's been very difficult. The team passed with flying colours today. The context and circumstances make this a tremendous win. And Spanish newspaper called Ideal paid tribute to Molina and Soldado, saying they have goals in their blood, um, which is a you know a nice description. And Granada Oy pointed out that the, the average age, the combined age, sorry, of Molina and uh, Soldado goal scorers is 73. So it really was a veterans uh, veterans day out, veterans ball. Um, and you know the, the top marks in terms of the the match were from a Spanish point of view were given to um, Kennedy, Soldado, and Eteki. They 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 got the highest ratings and Molina as well. And the highest ratings for Molder uh, in that same match report were for Magnus Wolf Eichram and Pedersen. So you know there's a quite a few actually negative ratings for some of their players as well. Sinjan and um, you know Gregerson I think got one star for example. Sinjan had a bad game sadly. Yeah, so, you know, um, it looks like it was a 4-3-3 for Mulder against the 4-2-3-1. What are you expecting in the second leg? And do you have any sort of, you know, predicted lineups if we're looking at this game in a few days' time, people listening? Uh, what can they expect to see from Mulder to try and mix this up a bit? Well, Mulder uh, will always play 4-2-3-1 under Lingmo. Um, nothing changes there. They're not going to suddenly go to a back five or a 3-4-3, you know. It's just not going to happen. There'll be four, two, three, one. I think Martin Ellington will come out of the side because he's suspended. I would imagine um, probably Etz has Hussein will will come and replace him in the middle of the park. I would expect Sinian to be dropped for Martin um, Bjorn back to you know, to come in. No, I don't want to be slamming. I don't want to slam Sinian here, by the way, because he has shown some very pr good promise in the last calendar year. It was probably a bit too too much to ask for someone to go. Yeah, this is the last sixteen of a European match, and you expose one on one it's going to happen sometimes a mistake will happen so i hope sinian can rebound from that I, I, in the in the attacking third I, i'm not sure sigurd darson's the man for molder he's like a target man he's nowhere near the level, level of lecky james or ui or my wanfo i would honestly give the young ivorian david diastro fafana a go up front because at least he's got the pace and a bit of flair and the skill that maybe something unusual could happen you know expect the unexpected with him i'd give him a go let him off uh, the leash right from the from the uh, the, f the first uh, whistle really so i'd like to see him change i think um apart from that there's not really much else they can do mattis bolly i wouldn't get him anywhere near the team i don't rate him at all i think i, I really think he, he constantly makes the the worst de decisions when he's in the final third we were talking off air about adam atriore at wolves tonight and he's a similar sort of player so I think keep him on the bench and don't bring him on. Like he, I just don't see what he offers. Uh, so I'd stick with uh, Eric Anderson and probably Hesta. Maybe Knutson could be an option for uh, for Mulder. But yeah, get the young Ivorian in the team. Martin Bjorn back at the back gives them a, more of a chance of a clean sheet. And if Pedersen can get them crosses in and a bit more accurate this time, um, then and then get an early goal. You never know. Put a bit of pressure on Granada. Granada are welcoming back quite a few players, I think, though, Jonathan. So it'll be a different lineup for them. And um, maybe Mulder missed the boat the first leg when they had so many absentees. But they're an old team, so let's use some pace against them, you know. Um, try and use uh, some Mulder strength against perhaps uh, some problems that Granada might encounter. Do you have a predicted sort of 11? 
yeah, I think Andres Lindell starts um, in goal. Um, Haugen at left back, Greg Gregerson. I think it'd be Martin Bjorn back, partnering Gregerson. Pedersen at right back, obviously. Orsnes along with um, Etzaz Hussain. Magnus Wolf Eichum goes without saying. Uh, Hester on the right out on the right wing. Um, Eric Owen Anderson. And I, I do think it will probably be Sigurd Arsen um, up front, to be honest. Um, but I would love to see the young, young Ivorian. I've not actually checked, to be honest, if there is a suspension. Suspensions can be quite harsh, can't they? In um, in Europe, I will uh, have a quick look there. But I think they're all right for suspensions, uh, from what I'm aware of. Yeah, um, there's no suspended players, so it looks like Granada is still missing quite a few to injury, but they don't have any bans for the second leg themselves. Yeah, and the game is being played in in Budapest, so I think you did mention that, right? Well, we I think you said it was going to be played in Norway. Yeah, Budapest. Yeah, it's being played in Budapest. Yeah. Okay. And the last game was played where? In Spain? In Granada, yeah. In Granada, yeah. It's, um, I mean, you're going to ask me for a prediction, aren't you? So I might as well just do it now. Um, I, I think the second leg is going to end in a uh, a one-all draw. Fair enough. You know, you're always quite concise with your predictions and uh, often you're not too far wrong. So we'll see if that, that comes to fruition. Uh, and also congratulations to Stian Gregerson, who's been named in the Norway uh, national team squad for their upcoming uh, World Cup qualifiers, which we played in at the end of March uh, against Gibraltar, Turkey and Montenegro. And he is joining a lot of former model players, Erling uh, Harlan, Matthias Norman, Mats Moller-Daly, Moyel Ginusi, Martin Linus, Ruben Gabrielson and Leo Ostergaard. Uh, I think I've all been in squads in the past or are in the squad. So good luck to him and let's move on because, um, yeah, I mean, that is going to be a big game, of course, and it's on Thursday. Let's see if Mola can pull off the, the impossible. We, we wish them the best of luck. Uh, Martin Ellingson is suspended and, yeah, I think if uh, Frederick Orson is booked, he'll, be, he'll miss the next leg and Burke Reeser as well, but uh, they're available. So should be an interesting game, five to six uh, UK time on Thursday for a place in the Europa League. Uh, quarterfinals. Yeah, um, so we're going to move on now to Swedish uh, matters, and we're going to start with the Swedish Cup because now um, we've had the quarterfinal matches. Uh, give us a roundup of uh, what's the the latest situation there, Jonathan. Yes, Swedish Cup indeed. So we've uh, we talked about it last week. We talked about the quarterfinals, and you managed to get me uh, off the fence uh, with my predictions. And I'm pretty happy to say, Steve, that my predictions. Well, bar one of them, came came true. Uh, of course, one game was postponed. Hammerby Trelleborg because of COVID. Uh, there's been a round of cases in Hammerby's squad, so that game has been moved. But we did have three of the four quarterfinals. Uh, AFC Nor Shopping against Bekohaken, Hacken, uh, Fors, Vasteras, and Jurgen Ostersons. First, um, you know, the first game uh, there. To talk about Jurgarden Ostersunds, a very comfortable win for Jurgarden. 3 0. Uh, Kalle Homburg, Eduard Chilufia, and Nicholas Barkroth. Pretty straightforward victory there. Jurgarden looking quite good. Um, Ostersunds, it's going to be a tough season for them, it seems. Obviously, with a transfer ban, not really been allowed to bring in any players, and it is looking like maybe a precursor to tough times, although they've done well to qualify from the group. But Jurgarden really had too much for them. Uh, the big shock, really. 
I guess it could be called a shock anyway, is um, in the Degafors Vastaras game because Vastaras have emerged and beaten the uh, the New Orleans fence game team. Obviously, Degafors newly promoted, but they lost uh, after extra time. So it did go to extra time and uh, it was a very eventful game, 4 3. So um, Vastaras moved to the semi finals, which is. This look, this look crazy, this game. Um, I, I had a look at the scores and uh, Degafors actually led with two minutes to go. And then Vastaras missed a penalty in the 87th minute and then scored two minutes afterwards to equalise, to take it to extra time. It was uh, two all after uh, full time. And then there was goals in extra time um, uh, that won them the game 4-3. And um, remember, they were the underdogs here. Uh, four to one shot, actually, with the bookmakers. Um, over 90 minutes anyway. So a fair fair shot. Um there's one side here that suggests that the semi-final lineup is is already drawn against Heck, and I don't know how true that is. It might just sometimes sites do that when teams progress. No, that's that's correct. That's correct. The uh, semi-finals are already done, so it will be Beck or Hacken. Uh, they are the other team that made it through, and this was a really really good game. I, I really I, this is the one game I, I watched. I really enjoyed it actually. Um, Hacken coming out of four three victors against uh, against North Shopping, two teams who are sort of slightly new look. Uh, both of them had, had had really a whole new whole new lineup to really to be honest and, and North Shopping had a slightly new sort of um shape as well about them under Rickard Norling. I think they're gonna be two very interesting teams to follow this season, uh for, for various reasons, you know, like obviously partly because of the new manager at North Shopping and partly because uh Hacken have really regenerated their squad. They got a lot of transfers in and out. Um so we're gonna see see big changes from their point of view. I think they've I think seventeen players have the come on left so yes um it's going to be i think they've brought in 12 and 17 have left if i'm right in saying could be wrong but um yeah i mean amongst the players who've departed leonard zutter who's gone to lecce kevin jacob adam anderson um imam yanya we talked about this is obviously over the past year or so but sodland's left now he's gone to turkey uh so they've had quite a few departures over the last year and in the meantime uh, they've brought in quite a lot of players. Hacken Alexander Yeremiev is back uh, from Dinamo Dresden. He is uh, he was on the score sheet. Uh, scored a nice goal. Martin Olsen has come in uh, from Helsingborg. Um, there's, a, there's a left back who played at the weekend. Valgir Friedrichsen is a young player from Value. Uh, Tobias Heinz has come in from Turkey. So uh, Paul Zdarbo is back on loan. They've got a young player called Benny Traore, who I'm really looking forward to watching because he scored in that game. Uh, from ASEC Mimosas in, in Ivory Coast. So it's a really new look, uh, Beko Hacken, and um, it, it lent for a really, really good game. It flowed really well. There was goals at either end. Um, you know, North Shopping took the lead through uh, their young talent um, by the name of uh, Abdul Razak. And, yeah, so it was, like I say, it was up and down. Uh, a game I really enjoyed watching, to be honest, and... Um, yeah, so no, was Ali Benro actually? I'm just looking. I'm just looking at the actual uh, squad. Three two at Hecken, and uh, yeah, Samuel Adik Benro, tenth minute, officially listed as the first goal scorer here. Yeah, sorry, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I, I'm getting the two mixed up. But uh, Adik Benro scored. It was a tap in. Um, he's at Bergman Johansson with a pinpoint pass. It was a brilliant ball for to create the first goal. It was a really really open game at this point. Um, then about ten minutes later, Jeremy F scored. It was a long punt downfield from Pontus Dahlberg who. I'm, I'm shocked he's still in Osvenskan, to be honest. Watford uh, you know, haven't really integrated him into their squad yet. Uh, he played a long punt upfield, and Jeremy F was onto it uh, against the young centre-back. Bit of a mistake, really, from North Shopping's young centre-back, Theodore Rask. Uh, 
then Haksabanovic, you know, went up the other end and scored in the 30 or 33rd minute. Um, so, you know, then it was 2-1. Uh, like I say, really, really open game. Then Benny Traore, but it was Tobias Heinz who scored the, the winning goal. Uh, for for no shopping to sorry for hacking to take the take the um take the win, uh, like I said, this was two teams who um, you know I'm sure you'll ask me about them, Steve, but they're, they're both of them are looking quite different in how they're approaching the new season. Yeah, I mean I look at this score sheet here, and there's some good players, you know, on both sides. I mean Tobias Heinz uh, is someone I'd certainly rate from uh, seeing him in Norway. Haskabanovic on the score sheet. I mean, there's guys here that you're thinking, well, they have moved abroad to supposedly better pastures it hasn't quite worked out but they've come back with these guys are quality players and i'm interested um i mean I'm, there's probably it sounds like there's positives from both teams going into the season at this point in time Hecken obviously into the semi-final you'd expect them to beat vastra so it's looking good for them in the cup but in terms of the the longer term prognosis you know very the formations are very different as well i mean we, we, we talked about norling coming in um and that, is he going to transform the side completely? Yeah, so I know you've mentioned sort of doing a couple of team, you know, team analysis on this pod, maybe brief team overviews. And I think I'll do a similar thing with uh, based on this game. So, you know, sort of a, I wouldn't call it a match analysis, but maybe a brief match analysis. So North Shopping went into the game, as I mentioned, with a 3-4-3 three, 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 really. Uh, formation, you could call it a 5-2-3, but I'd, I'd probably say more of a 3-4-3. Three, um, really new look at the back. They've got um, they've got Theodore Rask, as I mentioned, who's who's sort of 21 years old. We'll, we'll talk more about the team in general as we go along. But um, you know, they, they had a few other players. Marco Lunt, he he played centre back. Of course, you know they've lost a lot of players, haven't they? North shopping, so it's it's a really new look uh, set up there. Um, so they had sort of the three centre backs, uh, if you if you will. Um, then they had sort of a four four in midfield. And uh, yeah, consisting of obviously Varquist is, is a sort of right-sided centre back. He can obviously he can obviously play as a right back as well. They have got Castelgrin on one side as a wing back, Victor Guardius on the other side, and then this midfield two of Bergman Johansson, of course, the youngster who we talked about last season in, in such detail, the teenager, and Alexander Franson. And then up front they've got Ishak Abdul Razak on one side, Axel Banovic on the other, and Adek Benro up front. And as I say, it's a really nice blend. Obviously, Oscar Janssen in goal as well. He's a new signing from uh, Odebro. Uh, he was obviously in our in our team of the season, wasn't he? Steve combined. Uh, he was a goalkeeper of our of the season. Made a bit of a rick for for um for Jeremy F's goal to be honest. And although I like Jansen, I still have a question mark is he is it, you know is it a bit of a downgrade to um Isak Peterson? But we'll you know time will tell on that one. Uh, so yeah nice three four three Norling was sort of is been quite happy in preseason with how things are going. But I think there's obviously a, it's still a work in progress, a lot to go and you know, they were a little bit unlucky to a certain extent because they, they did offer good value in this match. But, um, you know, in the end, they didn't win. Uh, Hacken on the other side, of course, are slightly more settled in terms of manager. You know, Andreas Allen's been there a while now and he's going into, I think, his third or fourth season. But, um, again, they're sort of fairly new look. They've, they've, they've lost quite a few players. And, you know, they're still integrating some players. Some players have obviously still injured. Dello Irundust as one. But they had Toivio right back, Hammer and Lingren in centre-back positions. The new player, Fredriksson, as I said, from Valure. Now, he looks to me like a right-footed player, but he was playing left-back. Um, he actually got the ass- an assist for one of the goals. Um, looked OK, looked promising, but I think he, he did look to me heavily right-footed. Um, so I don't know if he's that's his position. Inverted wing-back. Yeah, so uh, we'll see where he, you know, if, he, if that's his long-term position there. 
but he played pretty well. Uh, Freeberg and Bergwin, you know, continued to be in the centre midfield. Uh, and then they got the sort of 4-2-3-1 with Tobias Heinz, Leo Bengtsson, who, who I've always I've talked about on this podcast before. I like him, him former Hammerby youth player. And this new lad, Benny Traore, who we'll talk about maybe in weeks to come. He, he looked exciting to me. I liked what I saw of him. Could be a sort of a new um, Nasiru Mohamed uh, for Beko Hakan fans who remember him. You know, a bit of a flying winger and he, he scored a, a decent goal. And then, of course, Jeremy F is back up front. So, you know, it's kind of, um, you know, out in with the old, well, out with the new and in with the old, really, isn't it? It's sort of the reverse uh, with Jeremy F going back to, to passages new and Sutherland leaving. So, yeah, you know, I think continuity is helping them in the sense of the manager. But obviously, it's a lot of change, isn't it? The, the former sporting director who we've had on this podcast has, has left Sonny Carlson. He's, he's kind of now taken a back seat. So the recruitment is going in a slightly different direction. And, you know, they had quite a, a bit of an experience on the bench. Obviously, Jack Lane was on the bench and they've got a few players who are sort of 17, 18 on the bench. So, yeah, like I said, I think these are going to be two teams to watch this season. I think both of them are interesting projects. And certainly from my point of view, covering the league, they're going to be two teams that I'm quite excited to keep an eye on as we, as we go on in the coming weeks. Yeah, Rickard Norling, obviously ex-IE Corps, ex-Bran as well back in the day. He's always been this sort of three centre-backs. He can't get away from it, it seems. That's his way. And, I mean, I remember watching that AEK team and it was just, to be blunt, quite boring. And very effective, don't get me wrong. And uh, you've got to respect that. But that's my concern. I mean, if I was, if you were to sort of, if I was to ask the question to uh, neutrals listening here for the first time, you know, which team should you sort of support, potentially in Sweden? I mean, give me a sell on Norshipping, on, 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 uh, on uh, you know, Norling. Are they, are they going to be as boring as IEK or is there a bit more sort of zest in there now? Is, you know, they've got players like adding Benro. He's an exciting player. You know, Haskabanovic, just call it in there. Is it going to be more exciting this, t- this time for, for Ricard Norling? I think um, some of it will depend on which players they keep and which players they don't keep. Um, you know, for example, Haxel Banovic has been strongly linked with a move. I think he's been rumoured to be going to MLS at one point. I don't know if that will happen. I think New York Red Bulls have been closely following him. We, we will see how that goes. Um, you know, because I think, for example, they've got a nice focal point there with Alec Benro. Really keen to see how he does in Osvensk, and I'm quite excited to watch him. I think that's, um, I'm really happy he's uh, he's in Osvensk, to be honest, because he's a player I would I admired when he was at Rosenborg, and I think having him over the side of the world, I probably wouldn't have expected his career to, to end up at Nor shopping at this stage. Thought maybe he could go a bit higher, but he's I know he's had his injury problems. I think this will be a nice launch point for him to maybe kick off again. Um, so we will see. Um, yeah, in terms of you know the way Norling tries to take his team, that that's going to be something that we're going to have to figure out because, as you've mentioned, you know that that uh, okay title winning team was based on you know steel at the back really and, and grinding out results. Now. I'm not entirely sure they have the defensive capabilities um, to really do that this time around. I, I thought the young lad Theo, Theodore Rask, you know, he's only 21, 20. Um, and I was a bit, you know, I thought he looked quite promising at the beginning of the match, but, you know, he made he made one or two mistakes and showed his inexperience, uh, particularly with the the opening goal for for Hacken. So I'm not entirely sure really if he'll um, you know, be first choice. I think a lot of things will di- be dictated in the next four, sort of four weeks of the transfer window. Um, you know, Castigrin, I, I quite like Lund is a new signing. You know, we'll see how he gets along. Didn't didn't really have an opinion on him either way based on what I saw in that game. Um, they've also brought in a young player called uh, 
Finner, Thomas Palmerson, which we'll talk about. You know, so they've got, like I say, quite a lot of new players. Uh, Agardius has come in from uh, from Mialbi. So, you know, he's quite a solid player. He's quite experienced. I think he's going to be quite a fairly decent pickup. Um, but I really think much will depend on which players they keep and which players they don't. Don't forget, they've still got Christopher Neiman up front as well, who was the top scorer last season in Osvenskan. Um, but I think Norling, he will try and tighten the team up a bit. But there's players like Ishak Abdul Razak as well, who's only 18 last season. You know, he didn't play that much. He'll now come into a bit into a bit more now, now that they've had a lot of players leaving. You know, the likes of Amphis leaving, Simon Turn leaving, you know, Dargestal leaving. So it's going to open up a lot of positions. I think Dargestal leaving is a big blow for, for in terms of centre-backs and, you know, the back, back line, because uh, I think Norling would have liked to have kept someone like him, especially with Rasmus Lawrenson having already left uh, six months earlier. I think he'll try and tighten things up, but um, the, the thing with Norr shopping is it is going to be quite a new-look side. And I think that's, you can look at that as an encouraging, really. We did talk about it, Steve, in the past. You know, they really, I think last year was their year to win the title, to be honest, and, and having made such a great start and they really did blow it. And things have kind of unraveled from there. It's really, really fallen apart, to be honest. But, um, you know, this, I saw some encouraging signs in, in this game, but I think the one thing that obviously probably will worry them is their inability to get the job done. You know, once again, they had dead spells in the game where they looked good, but it was Hacken who came away with the victory. So, I think there's a lot of work to be done there, but um, certainly, as I said, I'll be I'll be keeping a cl- close eye on them because I do like some of their transfers. I do like Norling in general, and um, I do think it's interesting times ahead. Yeah, interesting stuff. And I'm going to move over to Hacken now, and I'm going to ask you a question, which, to be honest, we might need half a podcast to actually answer it. But, so uh, <laughs> it'd be as brief as you could be, but which you know, again, if you're listening and you after a, a new club to support in Sweden. Which of the Gotham-based clubs should you go for? Because there's four or five options, I believe. Uh, in the Alsvenskan itself, it's pretty much Heckenor, IFK, uh, York, um, Gothenburg. Now, just tell me a few real positive points about Hecken as a club themselves, because they always appeal to me personally in terms of the, the youth aspect and stuff like that. If I'm going to sell you Bick or Hacken, the first question I'd say is, have you ever been to a football stadium and been given free popcorn? <laughs> I can't say I ever have been, no. Have you ever been to a football stadium and been able to sit on a couch and play FIFA? No. Now, this is you've told me this before, like there's kids' entertainment and stuff. <laughs> now, I could certainly go for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go then. I mean, if, 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 that's, your, if that's your thing... And if you've ever been to a football stadium and seen a B mascot walking around offering popcorn to people, then Bicker Hackers Club. Um, a really sort of family atmosphere. It's a small stadium. It's only about 6,000 capacity, 7,000 capacity. Um, I think that it's a kind of a family club uh, based in Hissingen. So Gothenburg has different parts to it, and, and Hissingen is kind of like a district. You cross the bridge. Uh, I used to live there across the bridge, and, you know, I've got four memories, you know, Steve. I've I've gone teary-eyed on this podcast before, you know, sort of uh, wispy-eyed or whatever, talking about it, reminiscing. <clears throat> you know, you cross that Gothenburg Bridge, and it's it's a beautiful sight, you know. And you get to the other side of the dock uh, into Hissingen, and you, you know, you cross that, you cross the docks, and um, it's you know, EF Core the establishment club of Gothenburg. You know, they're the big boys. They're they're the historical giants of Gothenburg. Bickle Hacken are the are the un- they're the upstarts basically. You know, they're the bees. They're, they're swarming around in their little part of Hissingen, you know, and it gets looked down upon a little bit. But, you know, it's its own little part of the part of the city, uh, secluded away there. And, um, you know, 
they're, they're kind of the rebels, basically. You know, they like to think of themselves as the rebels anyway. EF Core fans may, may think they're the rebels, but, you know, they're, they're the unofficial club, basically. You've got, obviously, don't forget, you've got Organite as well, are a massive club in Gothenburg. They've fallen on hard times, but they, they've also won a lot of championships, way more than Hacken. Uh, you know, they're up there with Gothenburg and EF Core in terms of, um, you know, most successful teams in Sweden, historically. Uh, and you've also got guys who are very well supported as well and have a proud history. But Bickel Hacken are the upstarts. They're the young team. You know, a little bit taken longer to establish themselves. They've only been in the league, I think, you know, not that long. It's only in the last decade or so they've started to come to prominence. Uh, and why is that? Partly because they've got a great academy, partly because they've got the uh, the Gothia Cup, you know, which is the worldwide youth tournament. Um, and they are really the found foundation of that. They get a lot of money from that as well, I think. Um, that's enabled them to build their Gothia Park Academy. And that's allowed them a sort of a stable base to sort of build. And really, it's through a lot of their own hard work and success. You know, Sonny Carlson takes a lot of credit for that. Um, building that club, he was manager as well, then sporting director, building that vision. And they just gradually, year after year, they, they keep improving. You know, they, they started winning a few cups. They won the Swedish Cup a few times. And, you know, that's really given them that platform. And, and, and they are growing as a club. The accusation is, because they're quite a small team, you know, you can walk around that stadium pretty quickly. Um, you you know, you don't get that many fans. You know, it's not like sort of Oikor or Hammerby with, you know, 20,000 plus or Gurgarden or even EFK Jotterberg with their 18,000. You know, you, the maximum capacity is about 6,000. You probably only really get about three or 4,000 at home games often. But they are passionate um, and they are growing. You know, so I think this season they've shown steady progress. If you look at this, their league finishes over the last sort of four or five years, it's gradually making progress, making progress. They tend to fall away a little bit. They, they don't quite get the job done to maybe make the top three, top top two, but they are on the right you know, trajectory, I think. So if you were looking to support a team, you know, Beko Aachen is certainly not, not a team to overlook because they play good football. They always play quite nice, expansive football. They always integrate young academy players. You know, they're always looking to bring in new, new talents. Um, and sell them on the likes of Dalehoer and just as I've mentioned, and many others they've sold on in the past. Um, they have quite a sort of, I wouldn't say the philosophy is set in stone, but they, they tend to sort of break quickly. You know, they tend to be maybe a bit of a counter-attacking side, especially at home. Uh, you know, the pitch is very compact; they can break on teams very quickly. Uh, vertical runners. That's why I think Bene Chouri could be an interesting signing because he's he looks like a strong, pacey winger um, who can get up and down the channels quickly. Jack Lane also fits that brief, maybe, if he can find his form. So, yeah, so, um, you know, I, I, like I say, I've, I've lived very close to the stadium when I was living out there, so they have a soft spot in my heart, Hapek Wacken, for sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know probably deep down you're more of an Orgrite man, aren't you? But um, you have a fondness for Gothenburg football full stop, don't you? All the teams there have a build. I mean, uh, I think maybe I should go for someone like Geis. They don't, they don't seem to get much love these days, so... Uh, they can maybe be the team that I keep my eye on from Gothenburg down there in the uh, Super and I think, guys, are they? But, um, yeah, it's an interesting area for sure for football. Big area of football and, and passionate. The fans are passionate. Yeah, to be honest, I wouldn't say Orgreet is my team. I, I, it's just I did a football manager save. Uh -huh. I, know. So, uh, I wouldn't say I have any affiliation to, to, to Orgreet. They probably, probably lean more towards the F-Core and Beko Hacken if I was choosing. Um, guys, you know, I've been taken around the club. I quite like them as well, but if I if I was if it was me putting my neck on the line, it'd be one of Beck or, or EF Core, I think to be honest. Just just based on my experiences and, and the people I met as well. I met some really good people at both clubs. Um Geis and Organita, I didn't meet as many people. So 
you know, I, I kind of base it on my own experience. But but um, I will say for sure, Stephen, when you talk about Gothenburg football, Geis and Ogri are sleeping giants. You know, they're both very well supported. And it is a kind of a nice FM save because both of those teams are kind of sleeping giants wait, waiting to be woken up. And, you know, I always think to myself, if someone, you know, if I was looking to work in football, for example, I wouldn't mind working for a Geis or a, or a, or a Ogri because they've both got good academies as well. You know, there's a lot of talent in Gothenburg. And um, like I say, they've got good fan bases. So they are teams that are kind of just fallen on hard times. But but there's a, there's a, there are big clubs there to be to be reawakened. Yeah, I mean, guys actually play at Gamal Ulevi by all accounts on Wiki anyway. I mean, stadium yeah, share, yeah. You know, the, 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 I know they're historically fairly big as well. But um, yeah, well, good to hear your thoughts on that uh, Swedish Cup game and some interesting stuff about Norshipping and Hecken. Um Two sides well worth people following if you're not if you're after a Swedish side for for sure. Hundred percent. But yeah, I mean going back to the Swedish Cup, it'll be you know, Hacken can't be ruled out. I think they could be considered, you know, one of the favourites now. Um <clears throat> but I think your garden are looking strong and we will talk about Stockholm clubs, I think, maybe in a in a future episode, because I think your garden are looking pretty good this season so far from what I've seen, and I think there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot to talk about your garden in this coming campaign. So maybe we'll save that for um, another show. But yeah, the two semi-finals we played in Gothenburg and Stockholm. So it'll be Beko Hacken against Vastaras on the 20th. And then the expected date for the other game is 21st. But with, with Hammerby's COVID cases, I'm not entirely sure when that's going to take place. But uh, we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens. All right, we'll take a quick break. And uh, after the interval, I'm going to give uh, you a bit of talk about a couple of sides in, in Norway. Um, that you could perhaps, uh, a little bit of a guide that you can get your teeth into. So uh, we'll see you in a little bit. Welcome back to this episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. Hope you enjoyed a nice little break, by the way. I've been... uh, on the jasmine green tea tonight so um very nice refreshing drink and i also had a magnum white chocolate ice cream so i uh, hope you had a little pause there as well and maybe got a refreshment uh we're moving to back to norway now and with the season being you know with the build-up to the 2021 season we are doing a couple of teams in focus this week as we've done with north shopping and hacken you know just a brief focus um and so we're going to do the same in norway now starting with a team who is newly promoted uh, and there's a bit in a bit of a shadow of their title-winning rivals, uh, Buda Glimps, and that is Tromso, isn't it, Steve? Yeah, we're gonna. I'm gonna talk about a couple of teams, uh, Tromso and then Strums Godse, um After that, but um, just before I do, uh, when you said Magnum there, I thought you were gonna say a Magnum of Champagne. I was gonna say, what are you celebrating, <laughs> uh, my old friend? I'm actually just drinking water tonight, plain old water, I'm trying to increase my water uptake. Um, in a fitness boost, mate. So, uh, you're trying to keep healthy and fit, eh? Yeah, you know, you've got to drink a certain amount of water per day and stuff like that helps, you know, metabolism and everything. So, something I've been working towards, but um, good. yeah, it's good to stay hydrated. So, if you're listening to this, you know, don't forget your hydration levels. And you know, hopefully, uh, Steve's chat in this section won't make you too thirsty. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, Tromzo, I mean, what we're going to do with this is kind of a bit like what you've just asked me. You know um, what teams to follow, what teams should we be looking to support? If you're new, maybe to the to the region and you're not entirely sure who these teams are, what's what's 
what's the good about them, what's what's not so good about them. So not necessarily tactical and analytical, but more of an overview, isn't it, Steve? So what's your um, reason for choosing Tromsø this week? Well, I've seen, first of all, I feel a little bit left out, by the way. The the, the elite Assyrian isn't starting until the start of May now. So, I've, you know, I would be talking about these teams in the season preview that we usually do, and there still will be that, you know, back end of April, I'm sure we'll be uh, well in detail. But I feel like I, I need to discuss about certain teams in the next few episodes before then, give people uh, listening a chance to sort of build some relationships with clubs and get a feel for clubs. And I've seen Tromso mentioned a lot this week um, in season predictions already, uh, a lot of fantasy talk and stuff. And I've seen a lot of people predict them in the bottom three. And I can I can see that, but this is a club that I really feel needs to progress and become sort of a, a regular in the elitist area again and not be flirting with, with relegation. I mean, I kind of have a little bit of sympathy for Tromso fans last year because they won their league, but massively overshadowed by their northern rivals, Buda Glimt, who before last season, Tromso, the only uh, side in that northern region actually had one major silverware. Tromso won the uh, the uh, Norwegian Cup before. They reached the Cup Winners' Cup uh, quarterfinals um, in 1997. Um, two times Norwegian Cup winners, 96 and 86. So, yeah, the history was there. They're the world's most northernmost professional football team. I mean, that's a, an incredible statistic in itself. So if, you, if, if you're listening and, and uh, want something quirky, a team to, to, to follow in that sort of way, then that's a, a really interesting thing. They're coming up. They won the Obos again on 63 points after, a, I would call it, a bit of a shock relegation when Simo uh, Valikari were in charge. They... If, regularly play matches at home in the snow and you know certainly at the start of seasons and towards the end of it you can there can be crazy scenes in in in, in the stadium at Alfheim stadium um where you know they're used to very cold temperatures only i just saw a tweet recently saying that they can uh train outside on the in a stadium again for the first time this year because it's so brutal you know this is well inside the arctic circle so they're a bit of a quirky club in terms of that um hardened fans you often get some bare uh chested guys out there in the middle of winter strutting their stuff in the stands uh but in you know in summer when the sun shines it can be quite a nice place as well so um yeah there's a lot of sort of different quirky factors that just come up they've got a, a new manager i'm going to talk about in a minute um since the last the elite Assyrian. yeah before you talk about him um let's just give a quick overview if you don't mind uh, yeah so they were founded in 1920. So it was their 100 year anniversary um, last this year, just year just gone. And to celebrate that, they they won they won obviously as you say the um, Obos Ligaen. So that was a nice little celebration. But they've never won the Elite Serien. So um, they've been beaten to that honour by by Buda Glimt, haven't they? And uh, it's been a been an up and down sort of few years for them, hasn't it? Really. Um, won the Norwegian Cup twice, as you mentioned, 86 and 96. If you were looking to compare them to a team, you know, what's their level in terms of, you know, their overall standing in Norway? Are they well-respected? Are they a bit of a plucky underdog? How would you compare them to, say, maybe a European team or an English team in the Premier League or that kind of thing? That's a very good question, actually. I think they will always be respected because, um, you know, teams up in the north there, uh, just to get professional football playing at such a high level, you know, fair play because it's not, they're not the most attractive places to play. So you need, 
your own sort of youth academy. You're going to get a lot of players locally. Uh, there's another club up there called Troms Darlin, and they, they tend to, they, they've got players from there before as well. Um, big rivalry with Buda Glimp. So if you want to take on the current champions and sort of be anti Buda Glimp, then Tromso's your club for sure. Um, and it will hurt. Their fans will be hurting to see Buda Glimp win that league. I remember we actually had a, an interview with their old manager, Simo Valakari. And one of the questions I asked him, you know, he lost them twice that season. And he said he couldn't, he, sh- he can't show your face for the next week because it, it's bitter and it hurts them. In terms of a comparison, they're quite a long way away from sort of the main centre parts of Norway. So you're looking for quite, if it was Premier League terms, um, you're looking for a club that's quite far away. There's not too many examples of it. Newcastle, perhaps, something like that, but not as big, if you know what I mean. Um, they're in, kind of in their own world with a lot of things. They're quite unique um, in, in that sort of way. So, Sunderland. Sunderland, yeah. Yeah, could be. But yeah, falling a bit hard hard times. Yeah, that's a very good comparison. Yeah, Sunderland probably better the example than Newcastle. Um, yeah, falling a bit on harder times recently. Obviously, it's good for them that they're back in the league, but... It's almost if you two or three years ago you'd have said they're the better prospect than Buda Glimt. You know what I mean? They they had the, the manager that had come in who was playing nice football, historically the bigger club. Things were kind of looking up and it's amazing what's changed in, in two or three years, really. If we look at sort of like their prospects in terms of um the season ahead, obviously they're newly promoted, but they are kind of, you know, regulars in, in the elite Serian. Uh, and the manager Galter Hellstrup is a you know forty four year old manager. He's got a contract to the end of this season. Have they recruited well so far? Are they? Are they? Is the squad good enough to compete uh, as it is from o- Obos, or do you worry for them at this stage? I mean, it is early still, but uh, who are the key men? Who should we look out for? What are the reasons to get excited about this uh, Sunderland of of the Elite Serie? Yeah, Goethe Hellstrup. He's an ex-player of Trom, so uh, he actually played a lot of years at Trom's Darlin as well. So he knows the area very well. A local sort of guy who who knows he probably can uh, have very good chemistry with the fans. He actually had um, a season managing a team called Ham Cam. What a great name for a club, Ham Cam is. Um, he had one good season there, and that's why Trump have brought him in after getting rid of Simo Valakari. Won the league, and he played every match last year with using a 3-5-2 flat formation. So that's what you're going to see from them again, I would imagine. Three centre-backs, and then sort of either wing-backs or wide-mids, whatever you want to call them, and then a couple of sort of strikers or attack- attackers. And one of the criticisms I've seen so far on on, on, on Twitter is they've not recruited enough. Um, and I kind of get that. They've only brought in a couple of lads. Uh, one of the guys, Casper Ovian from Trump's Darling, for example, you know, not really any elite zone experience. They brought in a guy, uh, left wing back, Thomas Totland from Songdal. I don't know enough about him. And Moses Abi, ex um, Lillestrom. Um, so, uh, yeah, they probably. They've, <laughs> They probably need to do a little bit more reinforcement. They've got some interesting players, though. They've got Eric Kitalano, one of the brothers of uh, John Kitalano at uh, Odd, and there's a couple of other Kitalanos floating around as well. They're, they're like rapids in Norway. Uh, they've got Rune Espiord, when he, who, when he's fit, is sensational striker, but unfortunately he's made out of cotton wool. Mikalinga Bridson's there. They've got experienced guys like Ruben Jensen in midfield, um, Antonsen. And then, you know, they've got kind of veteran centre-backs who are perhaps a bit too slow sometimes at this level. But um, yeah, you're going to see 3-5-2. I think you're going to see a decent sort of team on the eye. And um, I think they're lacking a bit in midfield, certainly, Jonathan, I'll be honest. I think that's my big concern about Tromso. But um, 
they'll they'll one of the I think one of the big problems they had um under Simo Valakari, they historically Troms are a very good home team, right? Massive home advantage. No one likes going up there, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um but I think Simo Valakari was such a pass hungry coach that it didn't suit them in a lot of matches where the, the elements and the weather went against them. They were better away from home than at home. And I just wonder now whether they might have solved that because last year they were very dominant in front of their own fans, uh, Alfheim, t- 12 wins out of 15, two draws and one defeat. And that is just historically Tromso in a nutshell. They've got to get that home advantage and retain that home advantage. And I just wonder under this coach, uh, Hellstrup, maybe they'll be more better suited to that. So that's a big part of their game. Uh, and make it a fortress that no one wants to go to again. Sure. And uh, how's our, our man Mikko Lingabitsen getting on? I mean, he came to the EF core, didn't he? And it didn't really work out for him. He was one of your players to watch at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, and it didn't. It didn't. It just flopped, didn't it? I mean, last season we look at his stats. Last season, fourteen appearances. Uh, in, sorry, fourteen starts, nine off the bench, seven goals, and one assist. I mean, I didn't watch him in the Tromso last year, but it looks like half the time he was used as a bench weapon, which is quite worrying. You know, that's Obos Ligain level. But I know this guy's got ability. He's um, you know a technically uh, fast player he can play in any sort of midfield attacking role and um you know if he stays fit i think he can he can definitely cause problems at the Syrian level you know Ruben Arespo is a great striker um you know this is a club that has the potential to certainly become an established elite Syrian side again and uh, it's a big year for them though because they can't if they were to go down again they'd be massively like yo 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 and and that is for me just too you can't. They don't want. They want to avoid becoming like the West Brom of Norway. You know, they need to um, to get themselves established again and, and kick on. And maybe booted them success might just drive and force forward and give them extra motivation. But interesting club to follow if you're after a club. Uh, they're not the bog standard, boring sort of side. They're in an interesting geographical place and um, a bit quirkiness about. The Sunderland of Norway, according to Meat Man Soccer Steve Wists. Send us a tweet if you agree or disagree at Nordic Football, and uh, yeah, it's an interesting analysis of them, and uh, you know, certainly a team who have something about them, and could be one to follow for this coming season if you're looking for a team to support. Um, let's move on because there's another team we're going to talk about on this show. Uh, it's a little overview of a few teams as we as we sort of windly, slowly wind our way back towards uh, the new season in 2021, and you've chosen Strum's Godset for this one, haven't you, Steve? Yeah, I have. And, and they're another team I'm seeing a lot of people predict them quite low in the table. And I kind of get that the last two years they've needed to win um, pretty much the last couple of matches um, or, or two very late games in the year just to st- stay up. So I can get that. But I feel like this is a club with um, great potential again. Um, we've actually had two league wins in their, in their history, the most recent of which came in t- 2013. Uh, runners-up in 2012 and 2015 as well. So around that period, they were kind of the team knocking on the door to like Mulder, Rosenborg, uh, and, you know, to get a league title in that period, fair play to them. That was under uh, Ronnie Dyler, of course. They've had some good young talent come out of there as well. Um, you know, Martin Odegaard, for example, is one. Um, a couple of other lads uh, in recent years. So, um you know, they are based in the city of Drammen, which is in the sort of uh, southwest of Oslo, uh, retain a strong rivalry with Mjöndalen. And um, I think, I'm not calling them a fallen giant by any means, because, you know, were they ever that huge anyway? But 
and when we think about it, sort of a decade ago, they're on the cusp of becoming this title challenger in Norway, um, which isn't that long ago, really, is it? Ten years. Well, I remember where I was ten years ago, but uh, that's a story for another day. And um, what's the you know what's the outlook for this for this club? Because you know they they haven't really raised too many eyebrows in recent seasons, have they? No, they haven't, and um, it's just it feels like things have, have slided. Um, and I, it's going to go one of two ways now. They're either going to go down, a bit like sort of what happened to Lillestrøm, who treaded water and treaded water for a few years, and then eventually gone down. And then you sometimes need to kick up the arse again, don't you? Come back up. And I fear that is a def- that is definitely a possibility for Strom's God's sake. They're not careful, or they could kind of rebound because I see a lot of potential at the club. They've got, they've got a manager, Henrik Pedersen. We had a great interview with him on on the channel. Um, you know, I think about eighteen months ago now. Fantastic guy, and he had a vision for this club, and I loved I loved what I heard. And I think tactically, he he has a plan. He has a, a sort of philosophy. He's a four three three merchant. You're not going to see much difference there. Um, he will have like a wing on one side and sort of an inverted wing on the other. He likes to sort of uh, press quite a lot. One of the one of the high pressing teams in the league, and and you kind of know what you're going to get with them. They 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 play some nice football at times. And I sometimes watch them. I'm like, what's going wrong? They have had a lot of bad injuries, and they've they've got already a, a key man out in Lars Jurgen Salverson this season. But uh, like I said, they've um, you know in terms of the the club itself has got this history in recent times that they're well supported actually. For for they're not hugely supported, but the, the Marinlist Stadium can have a really great atmosphere when it's full up and uh, they've got some good passionate fans it's um it's an interesting place and i think it can go in one or two directions and, and this season's a big one for them they need to keep players fit um and if pedersen in his third season can finally fulfill this vision then it'd be great but it on the other part of me worries is it going to go like tromso did with Timo valakari where this kind of great potentially just washed away yeah, I mean, looking at these last, you know, 10 years or so of Strom's Godset, I'm just going to read you out their, their sort of finishing, um, you know, places. In 2010, they finished in seventh. 2011, eighth. 2012, they finished second. 2013, they won the title. So, you know, this is a team who's got a recent history of winning. 2014, they finished fourth. 2015, they finished second. Uh, and then it's taken a bit of a dip, hasn't it? 2016, they finished seventh. 2017, they finished fourth. And then 2018, 13th, 2019, 11th, and last season, 13th again. You know, this is a side that's got a recent sort of pedigree of winning titles, uh, Steve, isn't it? And I mean, you know, we only have to go back sort of, you know, 10 years ago, as you mentioned, they were playing Atletico Madrid in the in the Europa League qualifiers, you know, and also the likes of Sundariska when they qualified in 2017, Hadrick split. So they've got even a bit of a European pedigree to a certain degree in terms of you know, qualifying for European competitions. Um, and they're also five times Norwegian Cup winners. So this is, you know, are they a bit of a sleeping giant here? Are they, are they a big, big team? Are they well-supported? Mm. And who would you, you know, their kit is a little bit like, uh, well, I was going to say Everton or maybe like sort of Tottenham away kit in the old Holston days. But who would you can compare them to in terms of, um, you know, Premier League clubs? Who's their equivalent? Because you did mention, and you are right in saying, that, you know, the interview with Henrik Pedersen, was very very interesting uh, on this Nordic football podcast a few years ago. 
Yeah, this in terms of a club comparison, say a Premier League club, um, I think we've probably got to look for someone that has won the odd title down the years, right? Uh, but at the same time, he's not maybe huge, huge. They have this, you did mention Everton there in terms of the kit, and they, they do spring to mind as a possible comparison. Maybe as a bit of a sleeping giant as well. Everton could be one of those. Um, trying to think of someone else. Maybe like maybe Villa could be another sort of example um, from a you know a decent enough size sort of uh, urban area. But um, yeah, one of those two could uh, could spring to mind. They're um, the manager himself. Like I say, he comes across really well. I like what he does. But fundamentally, his average points in the 49 matches in charge have been 1.10, which is way too low, I'm afraid, Jonathan. He really needs to step up this year and, and show this, this true potential. Like last year, 57 goals conceded. That's the third worst in the league. It's just not good enough. It's not going to cut it. And, you know, the home advantage wasn't helped by the COVID. You know, if they if they got the full crowds, you'd expect it better than second worst in the league. But they've got to improve that home record. Um you know, it's, it does concern me when, when, when fundamentally, in since he's took over, they conceded way too many goals. And whether that's the system, whether that's the personnel, they've had injuries. Um, but that is definitely an issue um, for, for Strom's set and, and for Henrik Pedersen to, to work it out. But if he can solve that, that riddle, at the moment they're only brought in one new player for the season, that's Fred Friday. There's another reason I want to talk about Strom's set because I've had people asking me about Fred Friday. Um I commented that his uh, fantasy price looks very generous. And I had a few uh, sort of Dutch guys responding to me, not if he plays to his AZ form, a guy from AZ Alkmaar. It seems that he completely flopped over in, in Holland and, and some people are questioning whether he's ever going to be the same again. But Fred Friday is a really, a really big signing for me. He was brilliant in the Elite Serien since he took over. They haven't added anyone else in midfield and defence, uh, but they will have players back from long-term injuries in those positions. So almost like getting a couple of new guys in. I'd like to see them reinforce maybe one player in each of those areas. Um, but they're an intriguing club. They go one way or the other for me. Um, but it might be a good time to get on the bandwagon of Strom's got set because I think the ambition it will be there long term. And they've got the, um, you say, recent, they won the title in 2013. You know, there's a history here. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned Fred Friday in a recent podcast and, uh, you know, um, I saw your tweet as well. You said he's a bargain for Elite Seven Fantasy, so I take it he could be in your team. Yeah, I mean, definitely in my team. And you know, I'm willing to you know commit to saying this this guy will will score a certain amount of goals, or I will do some sort of forfeit. To be honest, <laughs> to work that one out, I'd be maybe, stupid. Maybe you can uh, maybe you can sort of do something on a Friday. You know, some sort of for, Friday forfeit. <laughs> We'll get, sure. get you on this podcast thing in the national anthem or something in, on a Friday. Well, I won't be committing until the start of the season, knowing Strom's God says, look, he'll get injured for the rest of the season now. But uh, intriguing player, and they're going to need some goals from him this season up front. But I believe he can he can get them um, certainly at least 10, probably knocking on the door 15 if he plays to the level that he I know he used to in... in, in um, you know, in Norway, and you know, it's somewhere I'll be talking about certainly closing in to the season. But yeah, interesting. We've got this rivalry with me and Darlin, of course, a big one. They hate each other so much. It's actually quite a big match, one of the biggest derbies in the whole country. So, uh, you know, that's um, if you like getting involved in sort of a big local toss up with someone, just specifically one team, then that's your that is definitely your sort of club that you might be going with. again, quite sort of Everton comparisons, isn't it, really? 
um, in that regard, or, or Villa, in fact, again. So, uh, yeah, that's that's the sort of club I say God set are, and um, you know, they're an intriguing case, and uh, I, hope, I hope that helps sort of people get in uh, a bit of a feel about the club. Strom's God said it is so, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. We've looked at Tromso, we've looked at Strom's God set, and uh, yeah, nice, nice little overview there of the two sides, and of course, of uh, Beckel Hackenden and North Shopping. We've only got one more talking point in this podcast, and that is VAR, Steve. Because, yeah, yeah. are you ready? Wait, how long have you got? <laughs> well, when you, um, when you told me that there might be a potential for VAR in Sweden, I was kind of a bit taken aback to be honest but is this a realistic possibility yeah so there's been a, a few uh, developments on, in sweden on, on that um long story short there's been there's been a few votes uh held this this evening i think even uh about var and there's teams obviously at this moment in time they're kind of debating it whether they should you know whether they should go for var in swedish football and, and bring it in been debated it's been on the agenda for a while and on monday evening a, a huge majority of uh, members of ef core voted against it so a motion was started uh, you know to to vote it in um and basically you know it was originally put forward that the club should sort of go for it and and, and support var but the club's members have, have come out and said no thanks uh we don't fancy var and you know uh so basically it looks like, um, you know, I mean, it looks like it might not happen. So Would that, you personally say, is Sweden ready for VAR? Well, basically, I mean, the, the verdict came through that saying that, you know, the, the question of VAR is, this is a quote from one of the, um, you know, people involved in the, in the vote. It says that, you know, it's good to have democracy where everybody has their say. You know, I think it was, I think the board maybe were in favour, but the members voted against it. And essentially, the, the comment was that we believe that the you know the technicalities could work in future in football, but as it works today, it does not work well, and it strongly affects the match experience. Um, and so, basically, you know, kind of says that the passion and nerve is lost, and that's what of course new chairman Richard Bergling said to the Yotaburg Post. So, the feeling is that it's kind of maybe VR will eventually come into Sweden, but. At this moment in time, anyway, according to the EFCOR members, it wasn't something that they, they're in favour of in its current format and, you know, probably probably support that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of of the opinion in Norway. I don't think the, the elite Assyrian is, is ready for VAR yet. The big um, sort of push towards it would be that some of the decisions in, in Norway are so poor and some of the refereeing is so poor that um, maybe they are, they need sort of a helping hand. Like, I mean, for example, like there's a big decision in the playoff match um, that probably cost um, you know, so it was a reason that Mjöndal and maybe got uh, retained their status. You know, fine margins in big games like that can be crucial and and kind of always been, I've always been in favour like VAR in, in the biggest of all games. I just have. The, the stakes are so high. Um, however, in in, in, a, in a league like Elite Serie now Svenskan, are the stakes really that, that much? And I think it would probably almost spoil it more than it than the advantages that it would it would bring in at this point in time um, until VARs maybe refined a bit. I, I quite enjoy watching Elite Serien. I enjoy watching French second Divi- division at the moment with no VAR. Um, 
it, uh, it game flows a lot better. And until there's a sort of better, more refined system and VAR has really smoothed out the best it can, uh, I would say it's probably his best avoided in Scandinavia. But I'm sure that others will disagree. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't. I mean, I, I don't like VAR. I think it's um, my my gut instinct when it started was that I don't. I wasn't a big fan. Um, my reasoning was kind of that I felt that it takes away more from the game than it adds. Uh, I think it kills the celebration. You know, you can't really celebrate goals. That was my, one of my biggest worries about it. You know, kind of just kills that emotion. And, you know, although there was a period of time where I thought actually this is working pretty well, uh, I thought parts of the World Cup 2018 were sort of quite well integrated. But really on balance, I'm just not, I just don't like it. I just don't think it adds a huge amount to the game. If I look back at the history of football, you know, every major World Cup or sort of European Championship that you remember or Champions League, if you went back and added VAR to it, it, it I don't think any of these things are improved. I might be a bit biased on that in, in certain occasions, you know, where your team maybe gets away with one or your team doesn't get, you know, or your team loses out because of one. But uh, on balance, you know, I, I look at it as like, I always think of the 2010 World Cup. And I look back on that World Cup and I think, if VR was around and Luis Suarez and that Ghana against the Uruguay game, do you remember that game, Steve? Yes, yes. If Luis, if we are, should, I always think to myself, should, would VAR have, would that have been a good situation with VAR? And although I know, like, to me, it was like one of the biggest injustices I've ever seen in football. And I was fuming. Like, I, I, I fumed about that for, for like weeks, uh, to be honest. And I remember being so upset when it happened at the time. But when I actually look back and I think about it, you know, Asamojian missed the penalty. Now, would I have actually wanted VAR to correct it and maybe, you know, let's say the keeper was off his line or, you know, you look at, for example, Jersey Dudek in the Liverpool, that Istanbul final. Jersey Dudek's off his line about two yards in that final. Actually, if you rewatch those penalties. I hate that, by the way. I can't stand the goalkeeper thing. I think that's absolute bollocks. Yeah, I mean, if you actually think about it, that World Cup in South Africa, the, the Gudui Suarez incident was one of the biggest talking points in world football history, probably. It will go, it will go down in history forever. Um, do I want VAR to have ruled that out and it would have been nice and, you know, nicely sorted out? You know, although the instinct to me says, yes, you want the fair, you want fairness, the answer is probably no. You know, Maradona obviously passed away, the great Maradona, you know, rest in peace. When we, when we look back at Maradona's career, would we have wanted that handball to be ruled out because of VAR, to be honest? You know, when we look back at Maradona's legacy, that is part of his legacy, isn't it? I mean, VAR to me is like counterintuitive to, to South America in general, because South American football is a massive part of South America is about, you know, getting away with what you can, sort of just that sneakiness. And, and to me, that adds something to the game. You know, like, uh, you might not like it, but it's something different. It's like, that's the culture. I, I just think VAR takes away a lot of, of what we see in football. You know, I don't... You, obviously, you get the right decisions, and you know, maybe I'm being a bit romantic from that point of view. But uh, I like having a bit of treachery in football. You know, the decisions that drive people mad that you're talking about for years after. That. And um, from my point of view, in terms of you know relating it to Osvenskan and, and Swedish football, I just I can't. You know, if I had to sit through sort of Kalmar Ostersons and and you're there for in minus ten, wait, wait for a referee to sort of like double check for the fiftieth time an offside decision. I just think it's going to put fans off, to be honest. I'm, I'm not in favour of VAR. The big problem is you can't really celebrate a goal. Even what looks like an obvious one, there's no problems with it. You just can't quite celebrate until it's 
the game's kicked off again, can you? It's just one of those things. You, I, I'm kind of used to it now, but it's not good. And um, I think some of the stuff that the really, you know, the goalkeeper on the line stuff, that's just minute details, isn't it? I think VAR, there's certain bits of VAR you can use, like red cards, I'm, I'm all for that. Because at the end of the day, when someone gets sent off, there's a big break in play anyway, Jonathan, isn't there? Um, you know, so you might as well use it there, like mistaken identities and stuff like that. Goal line technologies work quite well, apart from one time. Um, but yeah, it's there are the, 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 unfortunately it's here to stay now, isn't it? But um, does it need to be in, in, integrated into all the leagues worldwide? I'm not saying I don't think it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't think it does have to be. Maybe just the top leagues where there's way more at stake, millions more at stake, things like that. Or could it be integrated into a system where it's sort of like coaches' challenges, like NFL, where actually use the linesmen and referees to actually make decisions, you know? And maybe a coach has like one challenge a game on something. Well, the, thing is, the thing is, you say, should it be integrated in all leagues? If you, you're then creating a hierarchy of leagues, which in further entrenches divisions in, in football. So I can't agree that, you know, if, I mean, I think one of the most scandalous things I've ever seen in football so far was how v there was VAR last season in the FA Cup, but only for certain teams. Uh, and then Swansea had a blatantly, you know, good goal ruled out, uh, which VAR would have would have ruled. You know, I think there was Swansea v Manchester City where, you know, there was no VAR, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous. To be honest, if you're going to have it in uniform in one country, one competition, it should be here for all teams in the competition. So I think you know you then end up creating a hierarchy, you then end up creating you know, it's not an equal game then. So um, I think you have to bear that in mind, but. For me, no, I, I, it just doesn't, yeah, as you said, you know, it kills celebrating goals. There's already a question mark about the, the appeal of football in the long term. You know, is it appealing to younger viewers in general? And I think VAR just sort of makes it a little bit less appealing. You know, I think if, if I was younger and watching football, I'm not entirely sure I would be as into it as I would with VAR. I just think that celebrate, okay, we've had no fans for this season, but you can't really celebrate goals. And if you can't really celebrate goals, then I know you're a big cricket fan, Steve, but you, you eventually, you're basically reducing, you're, you're basically making football more like a sort of cricket experience. Um, and I think that's counterintuitive to, to what fans want. You can't celebrate um, it, uh, saying LBW in cricket anymore because you can refer it and stuff. And yes, it's, you kind of get used to it, but it, yeah, it's not. The thing with cricket is once uh, teams are, are, have used their reviews up, then it goes back to the umpire. You know what I mean? And you're in a sort of a game where it's quite um, authentic again. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I certainly feel like it's not ready to be uh, implemented in Scandinavia anyway. That's my personal feeling about VAR. And, you know, it's a debate that can go on. But, yeah, the celebrations, you can't even celebrate a lot, an absolute galazzo, can you? I remember watching an MLS game. I think it was San Jose Earthquakes. And some blokes on right back had an unbelievable hit but there was like an offside infringement in the build-up which was fairly minute it was just slightly off and i'm like jesus you've chalked off an unbelievable moment and it's just stuff like that we've lost in the game now and yeah it's just the year 2021 isn't it and the sort of the era we're in now yeah, well, you know it doesn't have to be that way i mean why should we bow down to these computers and stuff i mean i don't i don't get this whole thing of it has to be there to stay if you if you, you know if it makes the game worse, it makes the game worse. And the argument about Scandinavia, I mean, I'm not even... You say that as if maybe they're lesser leagues, so they shouldn't have it. But to be honest, should it even be in the Premier League? I don't I don't see it adding to the game. So, um, 
you know, make the odd decision he gets right, and obviously you do get a slightly more, you know, overall I think VAR actually in the Premier League is implemented quite well. I think it gets the majority of things correct, but it's the, the amount of time it takes, the, the boring sort of like lines being drawn, the, the, the long delays. As you say, goals that can get ruled out because something in the build-up happened 30 seconds before. There's just too many. Football's about emotions at the end of the day. It's about passion and romance. And, and you know, skullduggery is part of that, in my opinion. That's part of football. You know, it's an imperfect game. You know, people love it because it's an imperfect game played by imperfect people. And, you know, perfection isn't always, I don't think, the best. So that's my take on it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see that in Sweden there's a bit of a, you know, I think I saw a tweet from Tobias Hussein, who we've had in this podcast as well, who said it's, he was very happy that the board vote, board members voted against it. So um, that just tells you a little bit about the feeling at the moment in Sweden about, about VAR. There's a sort of a feeling that maybe they don't want it at this moment in time. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that pretty much rounds off the episode. A bit of a VAR debate there, which is interesting. Um, and uh, we'll be back again very soon. Uh, certainly, hopefully, Molder. Maybe there'll be a, a, a juicy quarter-final Europa League tie for Molder um, that we can look forward to in the next episode. You know, we've got a hope, haven't we? Um, but yeah, we'll be back again, hopefully next week, to talk about more things in in both leagues. The Alsvenskan season is fast approaching. And uh, Norway's about, uh, what, six to eight weeks away. So, um, yeah, from this particular edition, uh, I'll uh, I'll say goodbye. Yeah, and before we go, I just want to give a big shout-out to our Patreon followers. Uh, you know who we are. We'll be reading, we'll be, uh, we'll be calling you out soon. But uh, in the meantime, patreon.com slash Podcast if you want to support us. And, yeah, thanks a lot to, the, to those little supporters. Of course, hopefully we're going to give you some interesting stuff as the season goes on and, and continue the consistency. But, yeah. Let us know what you think about VAR as well on Twitter at Nordic for Pod. If you are you in favour of it, do you agree with the F Core fans? Um, F Core board, sorry. Do you agree with myself or Steve, or do you think we're talking absolute rubbish? Let us know on Twitter at Nordic Foot Pod or, or at Twitter Meatman Soccer or at Jeff Football F U T B O L for me or Steve. For this week's episode, that's about it. It's been a nice little overview of Norshipping of Hacken, Trumzone's Strums God Set, and of course. Best of luck to Mulder in this week's massive Europa League tie, and we'll see how they can get on. But for now, from me anyway, Jonathan Faduba, it's been nice to uh, be with you on this podcast, Steve, and uh, I'll see you again very soon. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. We'll see you around next time.